Thanks to Audible, History of the Marine Corps can now give you a free audiobook. Audible is known for its tens of thousands of selections, and I use it all the time for myself and for some of the reference material we use on the show. In the spirit of transparency, History of the Marine Corps receives a kickback for everyone who signs up, but the author or the publisher does not sponsor me. Every recommendation is a book I have personally read or listened to. I'll include my suggestion at the end of this episode, but don't feel obligated to select my recommendation. This offer is available to any of the tens of thousands of audiobooks offered by Audible, and whether you decide to continue your membership, this book is yours to keep forever. Visit audibletrial.com slash marine history for a free audiobook and a free 30-day trial. Now on to the show. Welcome to episode 87 of History of the Marine Corps, The Battle of Bellow Wood, Part 1. Our last episode reviewed the Marine Corps preparing to enter the Great War. We covered recruit training, naval activity in Europe, early aviation, and even introduced chaplains and corpsmen serving with Marines. I'd like to start this episode by apologizing to any French speakers for my atrocious pronunciation of French cities. Most of the events we cover will take place in France, so you have the honor of listening to me mispronounce names for the next couple of months. This episode introduces the Battle of Belleau Wood. We follow the first Marines as they arrive in France and discuss some of the training and assignments given to Marines in 1917. Heading into 1918, we discuss events leading up to the famous battle, including Germany's spring offensive and some of the first engagements U.S. Marines had with German troops. Thanks for joining. Now let's talk about the history of the Marine Corps. On June 14th, the 5th Regiment, commanded by Colonel Doyen, left New York on the Henderson, DeKalb, and Hancock. Eighteen days later, they arrived in France. Despite the resistance from the Navy, Marines reported for duty with the U.S. Army and were attached to the 1st Division American Expeditionary Force. Immediately upon their arrival, they were assigned to the job they loved the most, standing guard. While Marines were watching over the camp, senior military commanders and the Allied powers discussed the U.S. Army and Marines' role in France. The Western Front extended through northeastern France from Switzerland to the North Sea. Being the new kids on the block, they were assigned to a sector near the middle of the Western Front that was supposed to be a somewhat stable location. Two weeks after the Marines arrived, most of them headed to Gondrecourt for training then to their new housing in ney forge and Menalcourt. The 3rd Battalion remained at Nazir and continued to stand guard. U.S. troops were sent to train under the more experienced French soldiers of the 30th, 70th, and 151st Battalions of the Alpine Chasseurs, the Blue Devils of France. The Blue Devils are the French Army's elite mountain infantry force and specialize in mountainous terrain, and urban warfare. Here, Marines and soldiers learned about trench warfare, chemical warfare, and other new tactics the French discovered during the war. For the first few months, 
Marines felt like they were tagging along with the army. The 3rd Battalion was standing guard at St. Nazir, and another company was guarding the post at Nevers. In September, Marines were given the humble mission of resupplying the infantry brigades. For the rest of 1917, Marines trained with experienced French troops and were taught the intricacies of the battlefield. But as training progressed, headquarters determined that the guidance given to U.S. troops was inadequate, and they developed a new, more hands-on system. New troops trained with the French soldiers for a month upon arrival. Then, they headed to the front lines and, under French supervision, served in some of the less active sectors. This new training plan gave U.S. troops some real-world experience and allowed senior leadership and staff to study live warfare. The 6th Marines faced a similar fate as the Fighting 5th. They arrived three months later and were quickly assigned to guard duty at Brest and Le Havre for the rest of 1917. By late December, Major Cole arrived at St. Nazir as well, along with his two machine gun companies, and they headed straight for training. The machine gun battalion, 5th and 6th Marines, and the brigade headquarters made up the 4th Marine Brigade. After months of hurrying up and waiting, the 4th Brigade had been formally established, received some training, and was ready to assume its responsibility as one of the infantry brigades with the Allied forces on the Western Front. The Marines had a strength of 280 officers and 9,164 enlisted. This force of Marines was the largest tactical unit ever assembled in its history. A few salty Marines were in the mix, but most troops with the 4th Brigade consisted of fresh bodies who joined explicitly to serve during World War I. This inexperience also applied to the officers, and many junior officers received promotions from within the enlisted ranks. They had either little combat experience or were entirely new to battle. Soon, they all will be tested. Some would fail, and some would become legends. In March 1918, the 4th Brigade traveled with the 2nd Division for its first tour of duty. They were assigned to the 10th Corps of the 2nd French Army, a few miles southeast of Verdun. This area was a quiet part of the Western Front, and had been pretty secure for two years. The defenses were strong, and the rear of the sector was supported by rest camps, military-run camps where soldiers were supposed to be able to recuperate after the battle or after traveling long distances. Marines boarded French trains and headed to an area 15 miles south of Verdun. From there, they marched to their final positions. When the Marines arrived, they relieved French troops. French forces meticulously made sure that every replacement understood his responsibility. The first Marines to occupy the front lines was the 2nd Battalion, 5th Marines. On March 17th, they assumed their position near the center of resistance. The original strategy was to have each battalion serve 10 days in each location. This quick turnaround gave the Marines further experience serving on the front lines and provided some rest for the troops. But you know what they say about planning in war. On March 21, 1918, the Germans launched its first major offensive on the Western Front in two years officially starting the spring offensive. The Marines were over 150 miles away from the initial attack, but its effects rippled throughout the Western Front. 
Germany hit British and French forces hard. And to provide replacements for the casualties on the front lines, the French took troops from the 10th Corps and another nearby unit. The transfer of troops left the U.S. responsible for holding the line with an insufficient force. Troops were spread thin throughout the area of responsibility, and the rotation plan was no longer applicable. The 5th Marines were removed from the line altogether and positioned with the French regiment east of Verdun, taking over the left half of the front line of the divisional sector. The 1st Battalion controlled the far left flank in the commune of Ix. The 3rd Battalion occupied Chatillon, to its right, and the 2nd Battalion was placed in reserve. Here, the Marines learned how to relieve troops on the front lines, which always occurred at night, and how to work together by coordinating fire with small arms and machine guns. They were also responsible for patrols in no man's land, repairing barbed wire, and raiding German positions. Their effectiveness made them a target, and Marines were exposed to multiple concentrations of artillery fire. On April 6th, the 74th Company of Marines was raided in the village of Trovaux. They successfully repulsed the Germans, but they were heavily bombarded by surprise gas shells a week later. The results were disastrous for the Marines. One of the shells exploded inside a building where they were sleeping. The surprise attack and inexperience of defending against chemical warfare resulted in the casualty of almost 300 troops and included every officer in the company. A week later, the 45th Company, commanded by 2nd Lieutenant Edward Hope, relieved a unit in X. As they were settling into position, the Germans launched a massive bombardment and they attempted to raid the Marines' location with specially trained raiding parties, known as shock troops. This elite force was trained to use infiltration tactics that bypassed frontline strongpoints, taking out weak points and defenses, and they were prepared to adapt to new challenges on the fly. They were one of the fiercest enemies the Marines have ever faced, and they were heading directly towards their position. The Germans were ferocious with their attack, and the Marines replied with the same ferocity. They repulsed German forces armed with flamethrowers and grenades and forced them to retreat, leaving behind two of their officers and a wounded enlisted. The Marines had three killed and 11 wounded. This victory introduced the aptitude of Marines to German troops and their potential to Allied powers. Without hesitation, the French commander acknowledged the heroic action of Marines by awarding them the Croix de Guerre, a French award given to those who distinguished themselves by acts of heroism in combat. These were the first of 1,633 awarded to Marines during World War I. The increased German attacks, along with the exceptional performance of the Marines, began to change the mindset of the Allied force. They were now more accepting of a unified command, and U.S. forces were placed under Marshal Ferdinand Foch, a French military leader who served as the supreme Allied commander. General John Blackjack Pershing, commander of the American Expeditionary Force in Europe, assigned U.S. troops to his command to use as he saw fit. Foch immediately put them to use. On May 9th, Brigadier General Doyen was physically disqualified and relieved of duty in France. His replacement was General James Harbord, who assumed command of the Marine Brigade. 
Germany's spring offensive was successfully making its way down to the Marines' position. In April, the Germans effectively pushed back the British near the coast of Belgium during the Lys Offensive, and the French moved many of their troops north to support the English. Foch ordered U.S. troops to Paris and Beauvais to serve as a reserve unit. Here they prepared to take their position on the front as a first-line division. On May 27th, the Marines were tested again. Germans launched another surprise attack during the Anne Offensive, targeting Chemin de Dame, a ridge about 90 miles from Paris. This piece of land was critical. Not only do ridges give troops the higher ground, but it was covered with old chalk mines that gave extra protection from bombardment. The Germans, French, and the United States all occupied this piece of land at one point during the war. It was now under Allied control, and this location was supposed to be a quiet area of the front for French and British troops to rest and reorganize. The Germans bombarded the front lines with over 4,000 artillery pieces, followed by a chemical gas attack. When the gas cleared, 17 German shock troop divisions launched their attack. The Germans quickly defeated Allied forces, and those who were not killed or captured retreated. In addition to gaining 30 miles worth of territory directly towards the capital of France, Germany captured up to 60,000 prisoners, 650 cannons, and enough supplies and ammunition to equip entire armies. This loss was devastating for Allied forces, and French citizens living in Paris started to panic. The French sent more troops to stop the Germans' advance, but they no longer had established defenses for protection. Most of their equipment was either seized by the Germans or with the retreating troops heading away from the front lines. It was time for the reserve divisions to shine, and they were rushed into the breach sector. On May 30th, U.S. troops headed on trucks, trains, and on foot to the halfway point of Paris and the German army. They helped the French form a defensive line in the rear of retreating forces to stop the quick advance of the Germans towards Paris. This position was a challenge in and of itself. The retreating French army and the large number of refugees fleeing the battle zone clogged transportation and confused Allied forces. The first U.S. troops to arrive were infantry units on trucks, and their only firepower was the weapons they carried with them. The 21st French Corps ordered them to concentrate fire in the region of montreuil ou Lyons. The U.S. Army's 9th Infantry led the regiment, and they marched towards their destination. When they arrived, they formed a defensive line to the east of Paris that stretched nearly 70 miles to Marne. The 6 Marines were assigned a 4-mile stretch northwest of their left flank. They deployed two battalions on the front lines and held one in reserve. Further devastating attacks by Germany pushed back the French 43rd Division, and they were now retreating through the Marines. Harbert sent a status report to Omar Bundy, commander of the 2nd Division. Quote, the French line has fallen back nearly to our line, practically on our whole front. In one case, a retreating French officer gave an order in writing to an American officer to fall back from the position we have been holding. The order was not obeyed. Unquote. 
The 5th Marines moved up and helped support the 6th the next morning. U.S. troops continued to hold back German forces, but they started to run low on supplies and ammunition. They were forced to hold the lines with minimal supplies for two days until the remaining trains arrived. On June 2nd, the area of responsibility extended to a front of almost 11 miles. They were understaffed, didn't have a reserve unit anymore, and had orders that, quote, no retirement will be thought of on any pretext whatsoever, unquote. This was the harsh reality of the situation. U.S. troops were the last resort of stopping German forces of reaching the capital. When supplies finally started to arrive, the Marines didn't have the time or the place to cook the food. They ate bread, cold bacon, and French rations in small blue cans they referred to as monkey meat. This meat smelled horrible and had weird orange specks in it. Marines swore it came from the jungles of Madagascar, but in reality, it was beef from Argentina, and the orange pieces were carrots. Water also had to be carried in canteens a mile away. By June 4th, most of the European advanced detachments fled, leaving the United States holding the front lines. Marines were reorganized and now guarded the left flank with two battalions on line and one in reserve. The 12th Field Artillery of the U.S. Army, armed with 75mm guns, supported the Marines. It was quiet that day, the calm before the storm. And while U.S. troops settled in, the Germans were reorganizing and preparing for their next assault. The retreating French army started to discourage U.S. troops. And to make matters worse, as they retreated, the French suggested to the Marines to join the retreat as a defensive line was a lost cause. Out of that chaos came one of the most famous quotes in Marine history. A French officer ordered Captain Lloyd W. Williams, commander of the 51st Company, 2nd Battalion, 5th Marines, to retreat. The Marine looked them straight in the eye and replied, Retreat? Hell, we just got here. When the Germans faced the 2nd Division, they were stopped dead in their tracks. They established a defensive posture, rearranged their troops, and launched another attack, this time against the British in the north of France. With the line somewhat stable, Foch switched from a defensive to an offensive strategy on June 6th. The following 20 days were some of the most intense fighting Marines ever faced. The far left flank of the line participated in the first advance. 1st Battalion, 5th Marines, led by Major Turrell, advanced north with the French. His target was Hill 142. They were positioned on a front half a mile long and managed to advance 1,000 yards. The Marines led the attack with support from artillery and a company of the 6th Machine Gun Battalion. 3rd Battalion, 5th Marines, commanded by Major Barry, supported Turrell's right flank, and the French supported his left. The plan was to bombard Hill 142 for 30 minutes, with artillery before the attack. Turrell's battalion was supposed to receive additional troops from Major Edward Cole's machine gun company, and two of his own rifle companies detached from the central unit. But due to poor communication and inadequate coordination, the rifle and machine gun companies never showed up. Turrell had to advance with half of his men. 
The Germans saw his understaffed unit headed in their direction, and they concentrated heavy artillery fire on flanking forces, stopping their advance. The 1st Battalion was left severely exposed. Marines concentrated the attack on the line between two German divisions. It took them by complete surprise and forced them to move reserve units into position to stop the Marines' advance. This pressure took a devastating toll on the Marines in only a few hours, and they lost 10 officers and 400 enlisted. Captain George Hamilton sent a status report to Turil six hours into the battle. Quote, Our casualties are very heavy. We need medical aid badly. We will need artillery assistance to hold this line tonight. Ammunition of all kinds is needed. All my officers are gone. Unquote. The offensive was successful, but the Germans were still holding an essential territory at Lucy le Bocage, referred to by U.S. troops as Lucy. The French Corps turned their focus on the Germans' position. Harbord began planning an attack to capture Bois de Bellot, better known to the Marines as Bellot Wood. The constant artillery bombardment from the Germans forced the Marines to rely more on fighting holes for defense, or foxholes for any soldiers listening. Colonel Catlin, commanding officer of the 6th Marines, reported, quote, Each man had dug a hole six feet long, two and a half feet wide, and three feet deep. Even the battalion commander had his hole. They were arranged in rows like graves in a potter's field, or a soldier's cemetery. When I saw them, each was filled with the motionless form of a sleeping man. It was a gruesome sight, unquote. Harbord ordered the 3rd Battalion, 5th Marines to cover a mile of front lines and attack east. The goal was to capture all except the southern end of Bella Wood. He ordered the 3rd Battalion, 6th Marines, commanded by Major Sibley, to protect the right flank and attack east simultaneously to capture the southern edge of Bella Wood and the town of Buarche. After the successful attack, they would then occupy a new line extending in front of the town and towards the northeast edge of Bella Wood. The 1st Battalion 5th Marines were assigned to protect the far left flank of this sector, and they were ordered to adapt based on the movements of the two other battalions. The 2nd Battalion 6th Marines was positioned on the far right side and ordered to adapt to Sibley's battalion. If it helps, I released a couple of maps on our Instagram and Facebook accounts to help visualize the battlefield. The Marines were going up against two German divisions. The 461st Infantry Regiment was comprised of 28 officers and 1,141 enlisted, commanded by Major Joseph Bischkoff. It was organized on the front lines for defense and had an artillery barrage providing defensive fire. The battlefield was heavily wooded, and a deep ravine near the southern end, along with some huge boulders provided further obstacles for the Marines. Bellow Wood was the most condensed wooded area in the Marines' jurisdiction. The visibility was limited to 15 to 20 feet. Harbord had a hell of a challenge producing a strategy for this fight. He had little to no intelligence in the field. He later stated, quote, no reconnaissance or scouting appears to have been done by the companies in front of their positions between June 4th and 6th, the responsibility having been ours since the withdrawal of the French on the 4th. 
This was probably due to inexperience. Maps were scarce. Unquote. One of the scouting missions mentioned by Harbord happened during the night of June 4th. Lieutenant William Eddy, an intelligence officer with the 6 Marines and fluent in German, took two other Marines and snuck deep into German lines. The Marines took concealment in a clover field and listened to German troops as they passed by. He gathered a lot of good intelligence to help with the upcoming fight. At 1545, Lieutenant Norris Williams arrived by motorcycle. He carried with him a copy of the attack order for Catlin. Quote, the objectives for the first attack mentioned in the orders were the eastern edge of the woods and Buarche. Barry's battalion was to attack from the west of Sibley's left. Unquote. As his marines marched into position, Catlin described them as cool, in good spirits, and ready for the word to start. He recounts, quote, I am no speechmaker. If the truth must be told, I think what I said was, give them hell, boys. Unquote. Barry received orders from the 5th Marine headquarters, and his Marines were ready for a fight. They were in position and in good spirits as they prepared to enter hell. But they were going against a well-trained force who were organized as well. Bishkoff had watched the Marines get into position, and he was well aware an attack was imminent. He called for reinforcements, and on top of the large German force already in place, two more fresh battalions were marching in from the rear. Before the troops were sent in, U.S. and French artillery bombarded the enemy's position. For 30 minutes, artillery shells hit random places in the woods, ravines, and the roads traveling throughout their target. Catlin had his reservations about the bombardment, and he wasn't convinced it was an effective use of artillery. Quote, They had no definite locations, and were obliged to shell at random in a sort of hit-or-miss fire. It must have been largely miss. Unquote. Regardless of the accuracy of the artillery, the order was for the attack to commence at 1700. Two assaulting battalions were about to go up against the best the Germans had to offer. Thanks for listening. Next week, the Battle of Bellawood starts. Welcome to this week's book recommendation. This week's audiobook is an oldie but goodie. All Quiet on the Western Front. This book is the story of a company of volunteer German soldiers stationed behind the front lines in the last weeks of World War I. Although it's based on the author's time as an infantryman in the German army, it's fiction but it depicts the struggles German troops faced during the war. Known today as PTSD, the book explores the struggles the main character is facing during war and when he returns home. It was banned and burned in Germany when the Nazi party started to rise. They felt the novel was anti-war and unpatriotic, and claimed that its realistic portrayal of trench warfare made the Germans look weak. I read this book in high school. And at the time, it didn't really resonate with me. I picked it up again a couple of years ago, and I have far more appreciation for what the lead character, Paul, went through. Audible is currently having a two-for-one sale, and this book is included in their offer. This is a good opportunity to pick up two books for free. Visit audibletrial.com slash marinehistory to download this audiobook for free and receive a free 30-day trial. But don't feel obligated to select my recommendation. 
This free audiobook applies to any of the thousands of Audible choices. And whether you decide to continue your membership, this book is yours to keep forever. Visit audibletrial.com slash marinehistory for a free audiobook and a free 30-day trial. If you like what you're hearing, check out historyofthemarinecorps.com. Here you can subscribe to our newsletter, find out more information about each show, and look at references used for each episode. We're also on Facebook and Twitter at Marine History and on Instagram at History of the Marines. If you're enjoying the podcast, tell a friend. We count on listeners like you to share and any help would be greatly appreciated. If you don't like what you hear, please contact us through historyofthemarinecorps.com and let us know why. I'm always looking for ways to improve. Thanks for listening and Semper Fi.